Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk. You know you're in trouble when we're talking about Habakkuk today. Some of you are like, is that actual book in the Bible? It is a book in the Bible. Habakkuk chapter 2, starting at verse 2. And it says this, and the Lord answered me and he said this, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So he may run who reads it. And for still the vision awaits for its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, oh my gosh, does anyone's vision here seem slow? Yeah? I know my vision feels real slow. It just feels like it's taking forever. The Bible says, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In other words, it'll come when it's supposed to come. It'll, it'll be here. It'll be here when it's supposed to be here. But first he says to write down the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. Today we're going to learn how to be greater by generosity. So join me as we pray over this morning. Father, we ask you right now, Holy Spirit, for you to come. And here's what I want, Holy Spirit. If it's in your will, I pray in authority and in power, Lord, to insecurity, get out of here in Jesus' name. Anxiety, get out of here in Jesus' name. Stress, get out of here in Jesus' name. All we want today is the peace of God, the presence of God. Let it be evident, let it be tangible in all of our lives, Lord, as we talk about the vision you've given us as a church. Instill confidence in us to run the race, to see the vision, and for us to run with it as we read it together in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement says, amen. Loud, repeat after me, say, today we are daring to experience real powerful moments together. In Jesus' name, amen. As you're being seated, tell the person next to you, Pastor Mike sounds sexy today. He doesn't look sexy, but he sounds sexy today. Are we allowed to say sexy in church? I don't know, maybe. <laughs> so we're going to have a talk here. So if you um, are new to Fervent, um, just know that I, I'm going to talk as a family, because that's what we do. We're going to talk as a family today. Can we do that? And this is going to be a family talk. So normally, normally, like, I'm loud and I'm making jokes. I start off with a funny little anecdote just to get everybody into it. You know what I mean? I usually make fun of myself. You know, I, I would probably on a normal Sunday make fun of this beanie on my head, right? Look like Charlie Brown with a beanie on or something like that, right? And the reason I'm wearing this beanie, if I'm going to be honest with you, is because I didn't shave today. Not cold at all. It's 50-something degrees. Um, not cold at all. I just didn't shave today. That turkey hit me right. Come on, somebody. And I slept a little longer than I should this morning. But, um, so that's the normal Sunday. But today is going to be an abnormal Sunday, and I thank God for it. Because as we talk about generosity, and I want to go back to the original vision of fervent. And so I want to take a stroll down memory lane um, to be intentional about where we're going, you have to first understand where we're coming from. And um, I do some coaching uh, on the side, and I coach a lot of churches. And I just came uh, this past weekend, I was just coaching a church in Trenton, New Jersey, and I was leading them through the story of the church 
There's a session that we lead them through the story of the church. And some of them, they, all, they were all there and they, they, they were there at the events, but they didn't know that some people experienced the same event differently. It was a big revelation to them. And so it hit me, and this, this was on Tuesday when I, when I was coaching this church, and I said, man, I, 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 I need to revisit the vision here before talking about anything. And to go back, I want to go back to when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was um, a heathen. Anybody else heathen back in high school? I was a heathen. In fact, I was so bad, you know, my, my mother took me out of public school and she put me in the private school and, and I was barely saved. Like I barely knew anything about Jesus. And I was so bad, I was so bad, everybody go, how bad were you? I was so bad that I cheated on a scripture memory verse test. There's a special place for people like that. Right? That's how bad I was, right? And so um, that was my freshman year. And luckily, through the process of sanctification through the Holy Spirit, God got a hold of my heart. And by my senior year of high school, um, our, our school was a Christian school. And our, our ceremony was, was centralized on Luke 2.52, where it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and favor with man. So in wisdom, you know, that, that award went to the valedictorian. And, you know, in favor with man, that, that, that award went to the, the president of the class. And so the, the, there was an award called In Favor with God Award where that was voted on the peers by those who led spiritually. And by the grace of God, my peers voted me as in the Favor of God Award. And I gave a, 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 you know, a speech at my graduation. So I went from cheating on a scripture memory verse test <laughs> to being voted on by my peers to having favor with God. Come on, the Lord can do amazing things. Come on, somebody. So it took this drug-dealing, cussing heathen and, and grew him spiritually to the point where his peers even acknowledged his leadership. Now, I'm not saying this to boast of myself. I'm saying this to set it up that at that specific year, I went to a mission trip, my first mission trip to Ecuador. And when we went to Ecuador... Um, we were serving an orphanage there, and we were doing a lot of mission projects. We were building a wall out of concrete, but we were mixing the concrete in a hole in the floor, right? So it was like mission work, you know? And I remember the last night we were there, we were on a mountaintop, and somebody busted out a guitar, because that's what you do on mission trips, and started singing worship. And I remember, I remember, oh, man, vividly that all of us, for the first time ever, we were baptized by the Holy Spirit on that mountaintop. And I remember physically, tangibly experiencing the presence of God for the very first time. It's that moment that I hold on to to this day, and here's why. Because there are times where I like to talk myself out of my faith. There are times where I get caught up and, and, and I listen to different angles of theology and philosophy, and I go, is this real? But I go back to those moments and say, no. No one, no one can take that away from me. I experienced the power of God. It wasn't someone preaching creationism. It wasn't someone preaching, you know, the, the, the infallible, you know, essence of the word of God. It wasn't anything like that. It was my experience, my firsthand experience with the presence of God. And since then I came back and I was about to go to college for pre-med. And instead I disappointed my mom and I said, I'm coming back. And guess what, mom? I'm going to be a minister. And at this time, she was a Christian, and so she said, do you know how much ministers make? 
And mom, I still don't know how much ministers make. I'm figuring that out to this day. But that was her worry. That was her concern. So I went to college and, uh, for ministry. And, and my junior year in college, I was hired uh, by the first church organization that I worked for. And I was hired as a young adults pastor. And I helped out with the young adults ministry there. And, uh, man, it was wild, crazy, and fun. It was. It was wild. We did some really stupid stuff in Jesus' name. We did. There was one time we bought a bunch of watermelons. And you guys know that video game where you slash fruit, right? We did it in real life. Like we were throwing watermelons up in the air and slicing them with stores, swords. Stupid. Stupid. I would fire my youth pastor if he did that, right? Um, we did another thing where we called it the smash grad ceremony where we allowed our graduates, we bought a, a, an old car, put it in the parking lot, spray painted the year they were graduating. In fact, I'm looking at Bart right now. Bart was one of them. I think I, found, I have a picture. I don't have it with me, but I have a picture of Bart standing on top of the car with a bat on his hand in this post-apocalyptic scene because, like, he's... And, and smashing the windshield, and we just did crazy things. But we saw people, we saw young people come to Jesus for the first time. We saw young people give their lives to Jesus and, and, and follow Jesus. We watched these, these young people, like, encounter the presence of God in a very powerful way. It was great. It was wonderful. And that was the beginning stages of ministry. And then turbulence happened. All right? The church, we were growing, things were going great, and then all of a sudden there was, we found out there was some mishandling of finances. got real yucky. Then we found out there was some infidelity in some of the, the staff, you know. Some of the staff members were, were cheating on their marriages, and it just got really yucky and horrible. Um, it, it literally was probably the second hardest moment of my life, the second hardest season of my life, just leading through that. Because at the time, the pastors, they went away to sabbatical and, and they left me in charge. And I had to preach on Sundays and lead on Sundays and it was tough. And I couldn't throw up watermelons and slice them with swords and entertain adults. I couldn't do <laughs> the fun things that I knew. I just had to go back and just lead. And at times I had to lead with a muzzle. People were asking questions I couldn't answer honestly because if not, I'd be putting someone else, this business out there. And it was just a really tough season, y'all, really tough season. And so, so tough that I had to pray a lot. In fact, I had to fast and pray, fast and pray. And I know you're looking at me and I'm like, you haven't fasted in a really long time. I don't fast now, I slow, come on somebody. And so there's one moment where I fasted and prayed for 30 days. And that's not a flex. I know you're not supposed to talk about when you fasted and prayed. But, like, it was very intense. And I really needed to be tethered with the presence of God. So I fasted and prayed for 30 days. And around the 17th day, the Lord started giving me a picture of fervent church. And I started journaling it. And I was looking back at my journal and reading it. And, and I was describing what it meant to be passionate worshipers. Right? Passionate worshipers, and I'm describing what it meant to be real people, real people coming together and worshiping God. Not this fake stuff, not three-piece suit stuff, nothing against three-piece suits, but like, like it wasn't a performance, it wasn't a show, it was real people. Real people, they were real, they were raw, and they were honest, and they were growing with their Savior. I also started writing down the fact that this church is going to be full of people who are infinitely creative and tenacious. You could push and you can shove and we still won't budge. We will still continue to do what God has called us to do. 
And then I, I wrote down a couple pages about describing a kind of church that's full of a bunch of gatherers and people who actually know how to have what I called holy fun. Holy fun. Not boring. Holy fun. Not that type of, you know, church that you look like you're baptized in lemon juice kind of church. I'm talking about holy fun. Gatherers. I started writing that down. And so my pastor came back from his sabbatical and I told him, hey, this is what the Lord told me. And then he begged me. He says, okay, you can't leave yet. I need you to stay for two more years. <sighs> Though it tarries, wait for it. Wait for it. So I did that. I, I waited two years and then with a group of family and friends, I decided I wasn't going to plant a church anywhere near my previous church. I was going to go all the way to Hoboken because I, I wanted a church plant. God, God gave me a vision of a church plant, not a church split. So I went to Hoboken, New Jersey. Come on. Home of Frank Sinatra. Cake boss. Come on. Believe it or not, you, I don't know if you know this, it's the home of baseball. The very first baseball game was played in Hoboken, New Jersey. But thank God for all the friends and, and the people who, who, who helped me out. But they were still living in South Jersey and they would drive up and help us out. Big shout out to the Spencers right over there and some of the other people that, that helped us out doing that. And, but we didn't have anyone from Hoboken yet. And so I remember I was bivocational at the time. I was doing some freelance work in Manhattan and I would take the subway from, from Hoboken to Manhattan to do some projects. And I remember always walking by this boxing gym. And I said, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit just put on my heart, join this boxing gym. So I was like, all right. You know, I remember I used to box with my grandfather. And so I went into this boxing gym, signed up, and then started trying to build relationships with the men in the boxing gym. And it was one early class. It was a 6 a.m. class. Come on. Real work of the Lord happens at 6 a.m., folks, before the devil is awake. And so I remember I'm in this class, and unfortunately it was a small class. Not a lot of people showed up. I don't know why, but it was just me and the owner, and he pulled out some pads, and we were boxing. So I'm boxing, and we're, as we're boxing, we're talking. And back then I was in shape so I could do both at the same time. Right? And so I'm bobbing and weaving, and we're boxing. And I'm like, in the back of my head, I'm like, please don't ask me what I do for a living. Please don't ask me what I do for I just don't want it to get weird, you know. You want to know how to kill a conversation? Tell them you're a pastor. You know, and, and we're boxing. All of a sudden, he does, he, he, throws, he throws it. He says, what do you do for a living? And in my head, I'm like, darn it. And I said, well, I'm a freelance videographer, and, and I'm also here to start a church. And then he, he pulled back like this. I hope he's watching this eventually. He, he pulled back, and he stopped, and he says, for real? I said, yeah, for real. And he goes, man, you know what? I've been thinking that... Uh, I need to get my life straight spiritually. And so since then, I, let, I prayed for him right in that moment. Prayed for him right in that moment, led him to the Lord, and then we started having Bible study together. And you know what this sucker did? He started forcing all the fighters and the trainers to come to Bible study. Right? He's, he did. He started forcing these guys to come to Bible study. And it was hilarious. Like, the questions these guys would ask were the funniest questions. Pastor Mike, what do you mean I can't watch porn anymore? Why did God make all this if I can't look at it? Right? Those are the kind of questions I got. And so, all right, let's go there. Let's do this. Let's have this conversation. And so I started seeing how God was doing this amazing work and things were changing in these men. 
And then it started inviting their girlfriends, and then, and then it started growing. And then we we're ready to start services. And I remember I didn't have to teach them worship. They, I don't know what it was. They knew how to worship. They were just passionate about worship. And I remember there was a couple services where all we had, we didn't have a stage, we didn't have anything. All we had was like this, this apartment in Hoboken. Anybody remember that? This apartment in Hoboken where somebody was just leading worship on an acoustic guitar. And without me leading them to the altar, they would just respond kneeling down and just praying and just interceding for their families and interceding for their friends without me having to say a word. In fact, I was a creeper one time and I took a picture of it. Here's the picture real quick. If you can't, throw it up there. And it was crazy. You have, like, the diversity that was there. There's young and old and Haitians, Jamaicans, Puerto Ricans, blacks, whites. And this, everyone left the service, and these are just people just lingering and worshiping God. And my favorite, my favorite, I don't know if you see, on the top right-hand corner, he was an older gentleman, about in his late 60s. He was a homeless man. They used to come in from the streets and worship with us every single Sunday. It was a beautiful mess. It was a beautiful mess, man. And, and, we, and I saw, I saw, God gave me a glimpse. God gave me a glimpse of, of how these guys were infinitely creative and tenacious. So when we got kicked out of there, then we're like, yo, let's, let's worship in the boxing gym. That's where we're going to have service. So we had service in the boxing gym. Look at this picture real quick. And we packed a bunch of people up in the boxing gym. You can see me in the middle there, about 50 pounds lighter. I was fasting then. And you, you, we watched, and this was our, our Super Bowl party one year uh, where we had, uh, if you go to the next picture, we had my man, uh, I don't know if you recognize the gentleman to the right. His name is Zab Judah, former lightweight champion of the world. And he came and he gave his testimony. And, and again, it was a beautiful mess. It was a beautiful mess, and we loved it. We loved it. And then a couple months later, God reminded me of the vision, you know. And the vision was, this was the vision. The vision was to plant churches that inspire real followers of a real Jesus. To plant, to plant churches that inspire followers of a real Jesus. That was the vision. But then... I got introduced to Heritage Church. Where are my Heritage Church people? There they are. <laughs> Somewhere back there. And so we did our first merger acquisition. And then after that, our second merger acquisition with Open Door Alliance people. And then 2019, Faith Alliance people. And so our vision modified a little bit. Instead of to plant churches that inspire followers of a real Jesus, it was to plant and replant churches that inspire followers of a real Jesus. Why am I telling you this? Because vision, and now you can throw up that definition. Vision is the ability to think about or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. And as a believer, when God gives us a vision, it's not imagination. It's the wisdom of God. It's the wisdom of God that gives us this image, this picture of it. And Habakkuk says, if God gives you a vision, write it down and make it plain. You want to know why? Because there are going to be moments when hard times happen, when the stuff happens. And that's the best S word I could give you today. When stuff happens, you need to hold on to the vision. You need to hold on to what you're going to see, even though you're not currently experiencing that. Can I say that again? 
You need to hold on to what you're going to see even though you're not currently experiencing that. I want to challenge you. Have a vision for your marriage. Have a vision for your family. Look, even single people, have a vision for your marriage. Have a vision for your future. Get with God. Pray fast. Do whatever you need to do and get a vision because you're going to need to hold on to something when times get rough. And that's what we had to do. We had to hold on to it because stuff happened, right? Stuff happened. You know, we, then we, we hit a worldwide pandemic. We hit some other turbulent moments as a church. So the vision is what God lets you see the future. But then we're currently experiencing things, right? And, and God gives us a vision so that we could see past the moment of our experience. We're experiencing some stuff. This is what I'm experiencing as, as the pastor of Fervent Church. Here's what I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing division, honestly. I am. I'm experiencing division. And it's tough, you know. When you have such a beautiful, diverse church, you have diverse angles and backgrounds and politics and opinions and observations and you name it, we have it. And so I'm experiencing, you know, division on things like race, you know. Some people, they're like, you're too woke and other people are like, you're not woke enough, you know. Some people are like, you, you, talk, you talk too much about race, and some people are like, you don't talk enough about race, you know. For some people, it's like you're, 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 too, you know, you're, you're too aware of COVID, you're not aware of COVID enough, and, and, and that's just been the experience. And I know I've been talking to some other pastors, and, and now is, it's harder to lead now than it was even during the pandemic because people have just really grown in their opinions and settled in it. It's hard. That's what I'm currently experiencing. I still see the vision, but what I'm currently experiencing is this sense of division. What I'm currently experiencing is that people just have a hard time bouncing back. I'm going to be real with you. We have a hard time bouncing back for whatever the new normal is going to be, and I can't stand that term, new normal. Whatever this moving forward is going to look like, we have a hard time bouncing back. We do. Some people, they have a hard time bouncing back because they're just paralyzed by church hurt. Literally paralyzed by church hurt. Can't move. Whether, you know, it was hurt from another church or, heck, we're not perfect. Maybe you were hurt by our church. You're paralyzed by it. We have a hard time bouncing back. We have a hard time, um, you know, getting volunteers. And if I'm honest, uh, getting back to just our regular giving. We just have a hard time in that. I was looking at the numbers, like the actual numbers. And I know pastors lie about numbers. We do. We lie about numbers. Like, you pregnant? We're going to count you twice. But these are the actual numbers. I didn't count them. Like our Christmas of 2019, right before the pandemic, Christmas of 2019, we had 536 people. Christmas of 2019, 536 people. 289 in Voorhees and 247 in Sewell. Those are actual numbers. I didn't count them. Our service managers counted them. 289 people here in Voorhees and 247 people in Sewell totaling 536 people. We have a hard time bouncing back. That's just what we're experiencing. You know, we're, we're having a hard time inviting people to church. I don't know why. Honestly, 
I'm having a hard time having fun on Sundays. Sundays should be fun. It's okay to laugh. God made it. It's okay to enjoy yourself. But I'm wondering, like, that's what I'm experiencing. Are we having a hard time having fun? Are we having a hard time bouncing back? Not inviting people, not leading people, not bringing people. Like it or love it, real disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. Real disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus. And so I'm not showing you pictures of the past to compare now. That's long and gone. We can't live in the past. We're not going to get tripped up on what's behind us. I showed you that because that's a glimpse of what we could have in the future. And we're distracted right now. And so I can't even preach on generosity until we get rid of the distractions. Because I could sit there and I could tell you, and I've told you the statistics on where church is right now. I told you the statistics of how young people really need Jesus. I've, I've told you the statistics on how we need to be a, a stronger church to help other churches continue to revitalize, revitalize and replant. I've told you that, but I can't, I can't make you care. I've never heard anyone preach on how can you make people care because you can't. I can't make people care. I could pray, but I cannot make you care. But I can continue to remind us of the vision. Remind us of the vision. And even bigger than our, our vision here at Fervent Church, can I remind you of Jesus' vision for the church? So we read Habakkuk. Now we're re- reading Revelation today. Oh, man. Today is a Bible reading day. If you're talking about Habakkuk and Revelation, it's crazy. But Revelation chapter 7 Verses 9, I'm going to jump around a little bit. And it says this, And after this, behold, I saw a great multitude that no one could number. Church, her people will have you say, it's all about small church. I want to read this. Great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes, and all different types of people and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with, with, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders of the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, Amen. Forever and ever, amen. And I love this one. Go down to verse 16. It says, for they shall hunger no more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them. Where, where are my, pe- my light-skinned people at that you have a hard time getting a tan? Come on, in heaven, in heaven you could get a tan without getting burnt. Come on, somebody. It says, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them into the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eye. That's the glimpse, that's the picture of heaven. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, all different types of people. And Jesus' prayer was this, let your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. So it's our job, we've been talking about how do we reflect the, the greatness of God. To reflect the greatness of God is to have a diverse set of worshipers here that are passionate about glorifying a God who celebrates their diversity. And we can't get there. We can't allow that will of heaven to invade earth if we're distracted by, well, what type of worship style do you have? 
you can't, you can't, you gotta stop playing music from that band because that band is her heretical and all this other stuff. It's a distraction, folks. What is the vision? What is the vision? The vision is to continue to plant churches that inspire followers of a real Jesus. A real Jesus. Do you know that Jesus didn't make politics a big deal? When they asked him and said, hey, what do you think about taxes? He says, give what is to Caesar unto Caesar and give what is to God unto God. I'm, a, I'm not here to stand for one political party over the other. I'm here to establish my kingdom, which supersedes any other politics we earthly have. Hello? And so let's get back to the vision. And let me be the ones to remind you that we have a great church. Not a perfect church. We have a great church. And I believe this, that if we could understand that, okay, yes, we have a great God that does great things, that does great things with his people, then we have a great church. And for us to be grateful about our great church and go back to gratitude. I know Thanksgiving, that's a layup, but listen to me for a second. For us to be grateful and thankful for our church, because I believe that grateful people are generous people. Grateful people are generous people. And then once we become grateful, then we become generous. And then watch out now. If we become intentionally generous at some purpose and some vision behind our generosity, watch out now. Watch out now. So very quickly, three ways that I want you to be intentionally generous. We need to be intentionally generous. My job... My job, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I am a minister, but you are ministers too. So my job is to equip you. And you are equipped, you are resourced. I just spent the last two weeks training up people in our collectives on how to do evangelism. We spent the last few months doing in-depth Bible studies together, reading the Bible together through our collectives. Hello. Your resource, you got it. You got it. We just need to be intentionally generous with it. So here's the first thing I want you to be intentionally generous with. I want you to be intentionally generous with your growth. Grow with the generosity mentality. Or I would say take care of yourself to be generous. Don't take care of yourself for yourself. Take care of yourself to be generous. Like I said, some of us were paralyzed by church hurt. Raise your hand if you, you, you had church hurt. All right? I know there's way more than that. Right? I get it. Church hurt. It sucks. It's horrible. I'm sorry that happened to you. And a lot of people were giving up on the church because of church hurt. But I like it in this way. I've had bad Chinese food. But trust me, I haven't stopped eating. What do you do? You just find another restaurant, right? Just find another restaurant. Or better yet, don't order that specific item anymore. <laughs> and I think so many times we just give up. Give up on eating Chinese because you had one bad experience. And what I want you to do is I want you to be generous with your growth, generous with your healing, generous with your care. Raise your hand if you've ever been burnt out in church. Okay? You ready for this one? I'm just going to put it right back on you. You're grown people. Be generous with your growth means this, that 
take care of yourself and prevent burnout. And there's two ways that I want you to prevent burnout. Number one, and only you can do this, is to create healthy and helpful boundaries. But watch out. Somebody's like, yep, that's good. That's really good. When I say healthy and helpful, don't create boundaries that protect your fragility. Because no one wants to challenge, push, or, or motivate a fragile person. Right? So don't create the boundaries to protect your fragility. Create boundaries to protect your growth. For you to be stronger. Because I think sometimes, we, again, when we're recovering from any type of hurt, we create boundaries that just protect our fragility and we forget that that moment didn't define us, that we could still be stronger, better, and bigger people than what we've been, right? But what we do is we create these boundaries that just protect our fragility. Create boundaries that are healthy and helpful, that help you grow, not so that just you can grow, so that you can get back on the, in the game and help somebody else grow. If your boundaries protect you from actually helping somebody else, then that's not a healthy boundary. I said it. It's not a healthy boundary. That's one way to protect yourself from burnout. Here's another way, because sometimes we, we, we blame the work. We blame the work for burning us out. But sometimes it has nothing to do with the work. Sometimes it has everything to do with your capacity. And so I think the other way that you prevent yourself from burnout is this. Let your capacity grow to the size of your passions. Let your capacity grow to the size of your passions. What do I mean by that? Some of us, we sit there and say, man, I'm passionate about Jesus. Well, if you're passionate about Jesus and passionate about what Jesus is passionate about and he's passionate about people, in order to love people, you know what you need to do? You need to grow your threshold of pain. Ooh, you don't like that. You need to grow your threshold of pain because loving people is hard. It is not easy. Let me talk to you about real quick this beautiful mess. There was one time, one of our congregants, they were, um, they were hooked on heroin. And this is the real deal stuff in ministry. That's why I crack up when people want to talk about, like, when are you going to get rid of the pews? Shut up. We got these for free 99. We're going to keep them as long as we can, right? But, but when they talk about, you know, real ministry stuff, I remember trying to help out this person get off of heroin. And I remember they finally called me and they said, all right, I think I want to detox. All right, I went over to his house. And you, if you've ever dealt with an addict, they change their minds constantly. And so I'm at his house and he, and, and we're screaming at each other. He's like, Mike, you, you're going to have to knock me out to take me. I was like, oh, you didn't know. I planted this church in a boxing ring. I'm ready to go. Like, I wasn't saved my whole life. I still got hands, Steve. Tell him, Steve. I still got hands. Right? So he's threatening to fight me. And eventually, after wrestling, not verbally wrestling, we didn't get physical, but eventually I was able to get him to the hospital so that he could detox and get back into a rehab. It's messy. And in order for us, you can sit there and say, I'm really passionate about God. Are you, though? Because if you're passionate about God, then your capacity has to match your passions. And it's going to take work. And some of us, you get burnt out, not because the work was heavy. Of course the work is heavy. You, you, you have to expand your capacity. And your capacity doesn't grow devoid of challenge. Right? You, you put weight on the bar... Because you're challenging your muscles. Why? Because you want to grow the capacity of your muscles. And so many of you, you sit there and you say, I'm, I'm passionate about 
about, you know, being wealthy so that I could bless people. Then let your capacity match your passions. And grow your capacity. Some of us, you want to shrink your work and still have the same. God will not give you big passions and a small capacity. He will not give you big passions and a small capacity. So if your capacity is small, you feel like you're redlining, then maybe you just need to grow your capacity. I'm preaching better than you're listening. You need intentionally uh, generous with your growth. Number two, intentionally generous with your participation. I'm not going to preach too long on this one. Yo, get in the game. Get off the bench. Get off the bench. Get in the game. There's some talented, creative people in this place. How much are we going to, how long are we going to wait? Get in the game. Be generous with your participation. The church loves to, to, to complain about the church, which is funny because you're complaining about yourself. And like the church is just full of consumers. You're right. You're absolutely right. Full of consumers. Then start producing. Get in the game. Get off the bench. Get off the bench and get in the game. Here's an open invitation. What do you need? Everything. We need everything. What position? Everything. We need more leaders. Why? Because we want to plant and replant churches that inspire followers of a real Jesus. That's why. It's not about church growth. Listen. Point number three. You need to be intentionally generous with your finances. The reason I jumped to point number three is this reason right here. Church, I love you and I'm going to say this. We can't pay ourselves. We can't pay ourselves out of the Great Commission. So yes, we need to be generous with our finances, but also generous with, with our muscles, generous with our abilities and participate. And I think it's not either or, it's both. And it, when, what, what the magical moment of our past was when we had miracles, people coming to Jesus for the very first time. We had muscle and we had money. Miracles, muscle, and money. Some of you are like, oh man, can't get through one sermon without alliteration, Mike? No, we can't. That's what we need right now. And so, trust me, we also know we're not dumb. We also know that you guys live busy lives, right? And you got 40 plus hours a week at work. And some of you have kids. You know, you need to stop having kids. Get a hobby, do something. Some of you have kids. And <laughs> some say, wow. And, and, and there are times where we need to, you know, provide help, right? Because I still believe, parents, I still believe that it's your primary responsibility to disciple your kids. It's your primary responsibility to disciple your kids. But I, I know that it takes a village to raise a child. And so we, have, we do have plans and aspirations to eventually hire a next generation pastor and hire a creative arts pastor to, to help out with our production and our online presence. I mean, we, we, have, a, we have a desire to, to hire an associate uh, pastor. That specific job is to help plant other churches and help replant other churches. We have that. And that, those hires were only going to come from your regular giving. If we don't have a, a, a constant stream that we could properly budget for it. And what helps us out is that you need to be intentionally generous with your finances. And what that means, folks, is what really helps us out in this modern day age, if you could just set up auto-giving. If you could set up auto-giving, that 
tremendously helps us out so that we could do that. So we can come alongside of you, help you disciple your kids, help you disciple your teens, help you out when you need it, and for us to function well as a church that blesses other people. But that comes out of your regular giving. And so what I'm asking you today is that um, on top of your regular giving is that we're going to do a big year-end offering. A big one-year-end offering. And from now, from, from now until December 31st, you have an opportunity to first pray and ask God to put it in your heart. What, what, what can we give as a church, as a, as a family to our church, to see influence continue to increase? What can you give? Um, and, and we're going to do that. And so next week we're going to have brochures. And I know that it's Giving Tuesday on Tuesday, so that's a great time to, to give as our society is already thinking about giving. But, but our goal is to raise $36,000 from now until the end of the year. And let me be specific because we're going to be intentional with it. So with the $36,000, $12,000 is going to go towards, we want to just completely give that over to missions and bless missions. We want to bless uh, our family in Bordeaux and make sure that they, when they go back from home assignment to Bordeaux, France, they get to continue making more disciples over there in Bordeaux, France and continue seeing the gospel and the kingdom advance over there. Right, $12,000 for that. Then another tour, so we, we separated it in three ways. International, in town, and on site. So the second uh, $12,000, when we're talking about blessing in town. So we're going to give $12,000 and we're going to use those $12,000 to bless the towns around us. All right. What I mean by that is like if our city, if Voorhees, Cherry Hill, Marlton, our surrounding towns, if they need help, they need to fix something in their parks, they need to... to to um, you know, modify something or enhance something that the church is going to be on the church's dime. We're going to bless our cities around us, and we're going to be a part of the the, the community. And then, lastly, on site, we're going to think about ways. Trust me, we got plenty of ideas, but we're going to think about ways to get people on our property. Uh, at both locations, and we have ideas like a free date night for couples who, who haven't been able to go out, and we'll provide child care, and they could have a date night. Another idea of having a food truck festival. Come on, somebody, right? Food truck festival. We have ideas. We, we, trust me, some of y'all are like, what, you know, y'all don't want to do stuff? We want to do stuff. We need miracles, money, and muscle. We need miracles, money, and muscle. That's what we need. And, and, and we want to offer a free anxiety seminar. We, we have tons of ideas, but we're going to allocate those $12,000 to get people on, our, on, our, on site here on our location to see what God can do through our connections with people outside of our four walls. But it's up to you, folks. It's up to you. And um, can we get back to the original description of fervent? Last thing, you know, it's funny. I don't know if it, he was just awkward or upset, but when I told my senior pastor that, uh, you know, God gave me a vision to plant the church, you know what his first question was, which I thought it was really weird. It was a weird first question to ask. Um, he said, what are you going to name it? <laughs> that was his first question, not like, how can I help? That would have been a great <laughs> His first question was, what are you going to name it? And at that time, I was doing a study on 1 on Peter. And I remember 1 Peter 4.8. It says, above all else, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sin. So I said, we're going to call it Fervent Church. That's what we're going to call it. 
fervent church. It's full of passionate worshipers, full of real people, real and raw people that are infinitely creative and tenacious. They know how to go through stuff and come out the other side better. And they're gatherers who know how to have holy fun. Fervent church. That's what God sees. I want you guys to see it with me. Amen. Let's all stand up. If you could do me a big favor. Um, we don't need the worship team. We're just going to close it out. Um, just want to spend a moment to, to pray with one another. And uh, I don't want to be selfish. Like, I, I actually want to pray for... God's vision for your life individually. And then um, for us to, to see how he's an amazing architect. So he doesn't give you a vision that can't fit in somebody else's vision. He, he, he knows. He's a great planner. He knows how they could all come together. Um, and so I'm believing that your vision is just going to overflow into this vision. Because if it's God, it's God. And so if you can, and just in a posture of reference, let's close your eyes, bow your heads, and if you can, put both hands out in front of you. <laughs> and if we could stand still, you could kind of hear the rain hit the roof. Holy Spirit, I just want you to rain down on us right now. Let your power fall. Let your power be known. Father, we want to be in all of you again. Father, I pray for every vision in this house. I pray for the leaders in this house who have a vision of a family who's thriving spiritually and growing in their relationship with you year after year. I pray for the visions in this place of watching the next generation rise up and maybe take over the family business or of the vision of them seeing their grandchildren worship you, Jesus. I pray for the vision that some might have to, to have influence and wealth, not for their own glory, but to give you glory, God. Because they're passionate about helping the poor. And the best way to help the poor is not to be one, God. So I pray for that vision. I pray for the vision of those who are single here and they... they some of them, they have a vision of, of, of having a family and growing. Help them wait for it, God. Help them have patience for it. For some of them who don't, maybe some of them have a vision of, of, of starting a business or, 
or having a position where they have a lot of influence and they need all the time they could get, Lord, I, I pray, God, that you just continue to show them that that is okay too. Because if it's your vision, Lord, then it's your vision. It's your vision. And Father, collectively as a church, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you help us connect, link up together, be a family, be a body, and do your will here. And to take care of the family, to take care of ourselves, and to increase our capacity to love, increase our capacity for pain, increase our capacity for patience. So that we could do your will. And that's to plant and replant churches that inspire followers of a real Jesus. Not the Jesus that religion has taught us. Not the Jesus that's full of religious gimmicks. But the real Jesus, God. That's our desire. And that's our hope. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.